Welcome to the podcast, Winning After Addiction and Indictment. I'm your host, Steve Cloward, and I'm here to talk about addiction, indictment, federal prison, and so much more. After more than a decade addicted to opiates and time in federal prison, I'm here to help you fight the battles that you're facing in your life today. Well, today I'm calling an audible as I'm broadcasting this, today's episode from my home rather than my office where I have things set up with better lighting and don't have glare in my glasses at at times based on how I move my head. However, I felt it was important to record an episode and discuss a little bit about my backstory with the title, Winning After Addiction and Indictment. Why did I name the podcast that? You know, what is it that can help others win after they've been through trials? It doesn't have to be addiction, doesn't have to be indictment. I happened to go through both. And when I was 19 years old, I dropped out of college because I caught the manager of my dad's uh, full-service car wash, convenience store, uh, stealing. It was in 1988, and the general manager had a, back then, a cell phone, a brick phone, and not many people had them at that time. And as I was going through some things, and I don't, I don't even remember why I was, because that wasn't my role. I had worked in the detail shop. I had vacuum cars, dried off cars. I had been a QC. I had cashiered. I had worked every area of the business because, it, like I mentioned, I had a convenience store, gas station, full service car wash, running about 30 to 40 employees typically. And I saw this payment to Cellular One for $810. And so I went to my dad and asked him and said, hey, what's the deal? And he was shocked, of course. The next day, he terminated that general manager. All of a sudden, here I am thrown in to running this car wash facility. No background in accounts payable, receivables, and just supervisory stuff with employees in specific areas of the car wash up to that point. Not only was I intimidated, but I worried about if I would get the respect from the employees because here I was now the owner's son, if you will. And that concerned me a great deal. And so I really had to think, how am I going to go about this? You know, there's a handful of employees that were older than myself and who had a little bit more experience, but not really in management, uh, just some life experience. And so I just decided, you know, I had to be powerful. I had to act confident. And as I went through this process, I had recently come off of an LDS mission after three and a half months because I had a lot of stomach aches, didn't know what they were, what the cause was, but I had lost about 20 pounds in three and a half months. And every morning I'd wake up with a gut ache. And I came home and was diagnosed with Crohn's disease three days later um, as I was in the operating room for what they thought was appendicitis which that was a problem. But as they got in, they saw that there was about 16 inches of my small bowel that was ulcerated and perforated and black. So they did a small bowel resection. Surgery was two and a half hours when it was supposed to be like 15, 20 minutes. My parents were out in the waiting room kind of panic, not knowing what was going on. But after recovering, I was in the hospital about seven days. And as I got back on my feet a few weeks later, I went to work at the car wash, and it was shortly thereafter, a couple of months thereafter, that I caught this manager basically stealing by paying a cell phone bill of $810 when really most people didn't have cell phones. Most people definitely didn't have cell phones back then. 
And so what was going on? Why was he using this, especially as he was an on-site manager? And as I fast forward, I don't know if it was definitely had some issues with my Crohn's disease, a lot of pain, which introduced opiates into my life. And I found when I took opiates, they kind of metabolize different for me than they do most people, meaning I kind of got energy. I was more outgoing. I, you know, I didn't feel as much stress. So it didn't make me sleepy or lethargic. It kind of did the opposite for me. It kind of gave me extra confidence, if you will. So I found as I started taking them a little bit more than prescribed. And as time went on, I found other people who took them. I found that we would share pills. And in 1990, I got married. And I remember I had an ear infection. And I got prior to our honeymoon, a doctor gave me a prescription of a pain medication called Darvacet. And I was out of those like five days into my honeymoon. They should have lasted weeks and a couple a day. As time went on, it just consistently built up and built up. And before you know it, I'm taking 30 OxyContin a day. That's actually what I was taking when I finally got sober, July 27th of 2000. I tell you the backstory of the car wash because I want to let those of you who aren't that familiar with addiction understand the wreckage and the things that go on and just some of the stupid things that you do as an addict. I remember we had a great customer who was in the car wash consistently, uh, was a doctor, and I actually had a manager that was addicted to pain pills as well. Next thing you know is they're vacuuming out his car and cleaning out the trunk. There's samples in the trunk of Vicodin. And next thing you know, those are being taken. I mean, as I sit here and say that, it, it's crazy. It's embarrassing in a sense as I sit here sober. But the things you do, the lies and the manipulation that takes place by an addict is unbelievable. I mean, we become great storytellers, manipulators, and we come up with lies and lies and lies. I remember driving to Cedar City, Utah from Orem, which is approximately two hours and 45 minutes away on a real rainy, crummy day. And just to get four ounces of a cough syrup that had a hydrocodone in it. I made so many stupid decisions and frankly broke laws definitely at times, to feed my addiction. Because as you become addicted, your body starts to get used to it. And of course, when you don't have them, you get very sick. The Joneses are brutal. And you can fix yourself by basically getting your hands on some pills and taking them. The crazy part about addiction is it's got such a big mental piece as well. Because there's so many times as I was jonesing, and as soon as I got something in my hand, I felt better, you know, before taking them, before the half an hour to 45 minutes passes for them to be in my system, I instantly felt better. So there's a huge mental piece as well as the physical piece that goes with addiction. But then there's a huge psychological piece. And that's truly what has to be identified for somebody to be able to get sober and stay sober. I'm a believer that you're not always an addict. You're not in recovery. I like to say I'm a recovered addict because 
I don't believe with the power that the subconscious mind has that you're doing yourself any favors by saying you're in, in recovery. Because as we're taught about addiction and in programs like AA and other programs, it's always said that relapse is part of recovery. So if you're going to program your mind and say that, then what's going to happen when that time comes when you're struggling and the drugs appear? You're dead. You're toast. I've always said that if you're mentally strong and for some reason you're around, you know, somebody is maybe taking something or you're visiting somewhere, whatever the case may be, and there are pills, you're going to be safe. If there's no pills and you are mentally weak, you're going to be safe. But if you're mentally weak and there are pills around or whatever drug it is that is your drug of choice, you're in trouble. So as things progress and my tolerance built up, as I mentioned earlier, when I finally got sober, I was taking around 30 OxyContin a day. And I'm lucky to be here talking today because I could have, and frankly, I should have died a couple of times based on what I went through and felt. Um, but I'm a big believer in there's no accidents. I know that we have the ability uh, through the grace of God and through the powers of the universe that he created to create our own futures. And I wasn't in a position where I was creating my future. I was creating it in a negative way to continually live the way I was. But sometimes we don't know what the plan is for us and we have miracles happen in our life. I remember driving to meet a buddy at a golf course, and I was driving down 800 North here in the city I live in uh, to the mouth of Provo Canyon to turn up University Parkway to head toward the golf course. And just as I made the bend to head south on University Avenue, my body went numb from my neck down. And I don't know really honestly what took place. But I can tell you, I had this vision, if you will, of seeing my body in my car as if I were dead. I immediately had a panic attack. I pulled over for a moment as I got kind of my wits about me from the standpoint of the panic attack. I drove to the driving range and my buddy was there. And at this point, I was emotionally a wreck. I was scared to death. So we drove over to my gastroenterologist's house who I became friends with. His son had worked for me at the car wash and I'd never abused him for prescriptions. I didn't know what to do. So he lived in a gated community and I buzzed in and spoke to him over the speaker and he had a party going on, but he called a doctor associate of his, an internist, and that internist told him to prescribe me eight OxyContin and he'd be able to see me in three or four days. We would schedule an appointment the next day. At this point in my addiction, I had never heard of OxyContin. This would have been 98-ish. And here I was scared straight, like ready, like I was done. It scared me to death. I wanted help. And now I get prescribed OxyContin. When I see this internist, he tells me that, oh, it sounds like you're self-medicating for depression, so we're going to taper you off. 
using this OxyContin and will prescribe you some antidepressants. Well, any of you know that any of you that know anything about addiction, you do not taper off an addict. That's usually not going to be effective. The thing that was worse than that was all of a sudden a green light kind of went back on in my brain saying, wait a minute, I do need these with my Crohn's disease. It's still flared up at times. It's incredibly painful. I still am going to need these. And so now from going scared, now I have a doctor who's writing me a prescription of 30 or 40 OxyContin. No, it was actually more than that. It was for a day. So 120 OxyContin a month. And it just got worse and worse prior to this and not to embellish and, you know, try to act like this is cool because there's nothing cool about addiction. And as we are in our addiction and just out of it, we tend to embellish and when we're telling stories, but I was taking maybe 12 to 14 pills a day of your lower tabs, Vicodins, Oxycodone, Percocets, whatever. But now all of a sudden Oxycontin was introduced to my life and it's time released. And when I finally went and did rapid detox in July of 2000, I was taking around 30 Oxycontin a day. And I needed that just to function. I didn't get, you don't get high anymore. It's just, that's what makes you normal. That's what you need to be normal without feeling crappy. And so I get sober and life goes on. Things are really good. And I have a wife who's now been with me 10 years and been through a lot of BS, frankly, that I'd put her through a lot of lies and deceit. For three and a half years, everything was great. I wore my, you know, sobriety medallion on my necklace. And all of a sudden, it's, uh, I'm having an incredible pain. I have a buddy here in, in town and and that night we're driving to Idaho where he's from because me and some partners were buying out a partner of his to uh, get involved in a business that he had started, a gym and some tanning, a tanning salon with me and my partners had three or four in Utah at the time. And so we went to buy his partner out because they were having some trouble. And as we drove up, I was in pain on and off. And I pull over, try to go to the bathroom with Crohn's disease. You know, if you're having those abdominal pains, typically if you go to the bathroom, that takes it away because what's happening is you've got ulceration and things in your bowel. And so when you've got things sitting on those ulcerations, it's very painful. But I couldn't go to the bathroom. I frankly couldn't even pass gas. And we got to Idaho 10, eight or nine at night, actually. I think I had an insurer. I was a little kind of afraid to eat. So I had an insurer. And when I got to my hotel room later that night, all of a sudden it started to come up. I had to vomit. And in that bathroom, I vomited and it was projectile like I've never seen before and never seen to date. Uh, it hit both sides of the walls in the hotel bathroom. And I didn't know what was going on. Next morning, I was a little bit kind of afraid to eat. I had a little bit of bread, I believe, and another insure and pain set in again. As the day progressed, it seemed to get worse. I had somebody offer to get me some pain medication, which I turned down. I was incredibly committed to my sobriety. As time progressed, it's early afternoon. The pain is just getting unbearable. So my buddy booked a flight, and I was going to leave my truck there in Twin Falls, Idaho, and I was going to fly home. And they hurried and booked one. The next one was like 45 minutes away. They booked it. We jumped in the car and he just flew to get me to the airport, which is like 30 minutes away. 
and it's 10 minutes before the flight departure time that we he runs in there and they had just shut the door to the plane and they would not let me on so the next flight was two hours later so i sat there and laid basically in the fetal position for another two hours before that flight got in the air and then it's about an hour hour and 20 minute flight to salt lake city where my wife was waiting to pick me up and that was pure hell um that flight i was in so much pain my wife picked me up we drove down to the utah valley hospital and as i'm in the er the doctor asked me if i'd had anything for pain i told him no told him why and told him until i knew what the problem was and that this wasn't going to go away that i didn't want anything and because i was just so committed to my sobriety and didn't you know want anything that could trigger anything but about a half an hour passed and they decided, you know, they've got to put an NG tube in that's up my nose and down into my stomach to start sucking everything out that's in my stomach. And at that point I had to have something. Um, so they gave me a shot of Demerol and Berset and not to gross you out or anything, but looking back, this is funny, even though it's, it feels so bad. Sarah putting that NG tube down, it was a male nurse. He had a old uh, beard and, you know, I had had, and sure, and bread, and probably a few other little things, even though I was real careful that morning because I was afraid of eating, it all came up and it went all over that poor guy's face. Uh, it was terrible. But after that, they got me to my room, they did some x rays, and they could see that I had a kinked bowel. And it was where the scar tissue was when I had my small bowel resection in 1987. They put me on a high dose of IV steroids hoping it would work itself out overnight uh, so they didn't have to do surgery. And thank the good Lord, that's what happened. And I was out of the hospital a day later. That happened on two more occasions. One, one occasion, the last one was so bad, not from a pain standpoint, although it was bad, but I was bleeding rectally. Like, I can't even explain how much. Like, I would sit down to the toilet, and it would almost be like I was urinating. There was so much fluid coming out, and it was blood. Uh, by the third time this happened, I had just checked into the hospital and they had just got me to my room. I needed to go to the bathroom. And I just remember yelling to my dad, just dad, as I tipped because I was passing out due to the loss of blood. That night, it was probably nine o'clock at night when that took place. It was about midnight that they had me down in radiology with a radiology technician who was taking x-rays. And my dad was in the hall it's a little hard to talk about because my dad passed away a year and a half ago. And uh, for some reason, another miracle took place because my dad's out there and he believes that his son is dying, literally going to die that night. And for some unknown reason, one of the radiologists walked in the hospital and walked by and my dad knew him and he knew my dad. He went in to see what was going on with the radiology technician. And after he saw it, he to, said, you've got to get him to his room immediately. We've got to get on a full IV steroid to turn it up as, you know, as fast as it can feed into him. And he believed that there's no doubt in the morning they were going to have to do surgery. But throughout the night, something took place that when they re-x-rayed me that morning, the kink had worked itself out. So I was able to leave the hospital a couple of days later and everything's going well. Now, fast forward, I didn't relapse off of any abuse of drugs after I didn't need anything after, but a couple of years passes and it's time for a vasectomy. I told the doctors, I told all my doctors, 
and those in my circle that I had a drug problem in the past. The doctor went to prescribe something. I told him I didn't need it, but he had given my wife a prescription of Ultraset, which is non-narcotic, non-addictive, the way the drug company markets it to doctors. But that stuff metabolizes for me, just like any other opiate, you know, that's stronger. And that night, I didn't know my wife got the prescription. And frankly, I didn't know why she filled it. And I'm not blaming her at all. She was just trying to take care of me the best she knows how at the time. But I was uncomfortable. And she asked me if I wanted a couple. Frankly, I was weak and decided, yeah, I need them. It's going to be okay. Well, because there's other things going on in my life that I haven't got settled in, in my mind, I start to abuse that type of pill, just ultra set. Now, my mom had rheumatoid arthritis incredibly bad for 35 years. She tried to stay away from the harder opiates, and that's what she had. My brother's also an addict, and so we had talked to our parents, and they knew not to keep stuff in the kitchen or anywhere that in a cupboard where we could find them, basically. But next thing you know, I'm driving up to visit my mom, and I'm also trying to seek to see if there's any pills anywhere. And sure enough, in the cabinet, there was a bottle of Ultraset, and I took some, and that started things. I started down the path of abusing them daily. Now, the positive to this is I had been through day spring in 2000 when I got sober originally. So I was educated and understood why addicts do some of the things they do. As I'm about three or four months into abusing Ultraset, I just knew I was, didn't want to go down that road again because there were so many days I drove to work in the mornings crying because I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know there was help. I didn't know there was programs to help you. Remember, this is 20 years ago. Now, opiate is a, it's a crisis here in America, and there's so many deaths and overdoses. But thank goodness to the education I got through day spring, I decided I did not want to go down this road any further. I mean, I was totally functioning, and that's what's crazy. I was a functioning addict all the time. That doesn't mean I was a you know, made good decisions, obviously, but didn't affect my business. And I didn't do things to put, you know, my family's finances or our house or anything at risk. Of course, there was wreckage to relationships and damage to those kind of things. So I had heard Rush Limbaugh had a problem and I wanted to keep it quiet. So I told my best friend what was going on. And I got a hold of the doctor who treated Rush Limbaugh. And I left one afternoon on a flight to New York at 4 p.m. Can't remember the lie I told my wife, but me and my buddy flew back there. Saw this doctor the next morning at 9 a.m. And I was back in Salt Lake City the next day about 4 p.m. He prescribed me Suboxone, which I had never heard of, on for eight days. And I took it as it was prescribed. That was it. I didn't get sick after. I felt great. And I put addiction behind me once and for all. I tell you all those stories so that you can get an idea of what we go through and why we do what we do. There was underlying reasons. And as I mentioned, the podcast is winning after addiction indictment. That's a little bit of a look inside of my addiction, but I also went through a federal indictment and went to federal prison over that. It wasn't drug related at all. It was due to a mortgage fraud case. My appraisal firm had done some appraisals that were part of this case. And I got indicted and went to prison. I'm not going to 
go into my prison story today. We'll talk about that on another episode. But I'm a big believer there's no accidents in life. And the things that I've learned through my addiction and prison, after coming out of prison and struggling for eight years, I was always an entrepreneur. I was very successful. I felt like I just went for it all the time. I didn't really have any fear. That doesn't mean I made good business choices all the time. In fact, I didn't in 2006. I closed on a huge uh, real estate project and lost everything. Lost everything, closed on that October of 06, and then got indicted December of 07. And then the market started to tank. So I lost it all, found myself in federal prison. But as I was broken for eight years after federal prison, which I've been out of, I'm nine and a half years since I was released. It'll be 10 on September 15th of 2020. I finally realized about a year and a half ago what the problem was, why I couldn't make things happen. I had no confidence. I really didn't have a path direction in business. I was doing things just to do things to make a living. And frankly, there was a lot of times where I wasn't. I went into a ton of debt just to cover bills and things after being totally out of it because of what I went through and losing it all. And then, you know, my credit was finally cleaned up because enough time had passed. And now I'm going into a ton of debt and not sure really what to do. I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't have the confidence to do it because I was broken and I was broken right between my ears. Until I realized the power of the mind and what mindset is, and that mindset is everything, and it controls whether we win or lose, I was going to keep treading water, or frankly, going under at times, struggling to breathe, just to pop up in time to tread some more water. So as I learned about the mind, I started to reprogram my subconscious by the things I read, by the things I listened to, and slowly but surely, my confidence started to come back because all of a sudden, people and opportunities are showing up in my life. And I don't know about you, but there's times where I've said, man, that person just is lucky or everything they touch turns to gold. They're not lucky. We all create our success or failure. We all can create our future or we can continue to just do what we're doing, have the future continue to just do what it chooses for us. So if we're not reaching to become the better version of ourselves or to get to the next level, and we're just going through life robotically by going to the job, showing up, going home, not doing much, doing the things that maybe you need to to attend to family or, you know, you might have some functions you need to attend for schooling, kids school, whatever the case is, and then watching some TV and going to bed. Well, guess what? Nothing's going to change. You're not doing anything to change your life. But through the power of the things that we think about, the people we hang around, we can create our future. So it was just two short months ago that I finally had the confidence to go into consulting to help addicts or their loved ones or men and women indicted and their loved ones. But two weeks into that process of outlining everything I'm going to do, creating a couple ebooks and setting up pricing, et cetera, it, I got a call and I was just ready to build my funnel, which I knew exactly what to do and start running ads. All of a sudden, I get a call from a friend who I sold a spec home to 20 years earlier. 
She actually has been in the real estate industry and lending business for 20 years, 20 plus. And she's a phenomenal speaker. She teaches continuing education all over the country. She's accredited with the National Association of Realtors. She has digital courses that people can take and then go get tests with the state to get a, a real estate license. I was actually fortunate to be on the mortgage fraud piece of that, of all those modules. And I've had her contact me several times over the last 15 years where I've spoke and talked about mortgage fraud. And she called me and asked me what I saw myself doing in five years. I told her I'm finally doing what I'm passionate about. You know, I'm finally going to help people in two areas that I'm incredibly passionate about, I have experience with, and how different things would have been had I had a mentor or a consultant or a coach, whatever, when I got indicted. I made so many decisions out of fear that I would never make today knowing what I know now. And she asked me if I had any interest in becoming a partner with her and her business. And as I thought about it over a couple of days, talked to my wife about it, even went to a mastermind with one of my coaches and a group of people in that mastermind from a marketing standpoint. I even was talked about it there and had one of the guys who's had a phenomenal year last year who just got into consulting say, why would you do that? You don't need that. You've had success in the past. You know what to do. You just need that extra push. You just need that confidence. And now you're ready to take it. Why would you want to go split something with somebody? And after talking it through with him, I was ready to say, no, and I'm not going to do it. But I spoke to my wife that night on the phone, thought a lot about it, frankly prayed about it, and just decided I had to go with my gut, my feeling, because that's something I didn't do in my life very often, frankly, hardly ever. <laughs> Had I listened to my wife, engaged with her uh, when I did my development in St. George, I would have never done it because I risked everything for a $4.9 million loan when I put our house on the line and lost it all. Um, that wasn't fair to her. So anyways, I talked to her and really thought it through. About 24 hours later, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. Not knowing exactly why it wasn't for financial reasons, but a big part of it was the energy that my friend Cheryl Knowlton has. Her energy is infectious. She's highly driven and motivated. And I just decided that that was going to have a better outcome. You know, who knows where things go down the road, but I'm all in. I decided I was all in. Well, now let's rewind three months earlier. I was at an event with my wife called Turning Point with a gentleman named Marshall Silver, who's a brilliant, brilliant teacher, probably one of the world's best, if not the best hypnotist in the world. If you don't know who Marshall Silver is, you should look him up on YouTube. Phenomenal. And as I was at this event, two-day event with my wife, the first day, he throws a towel out over his shoulder and whoever, you know, basically goes toward and lands on is who he's going to engage with and happened to be me. And as he talked to me and we engaged there for a short time, he asked me a lot of questions about what I did what I've done, what I want to do, what I'm passionate about. And I told him I wanted to speak and impact other people, you know. And it was pretty clear that that's what I wanted to do. Now, yes, I'm passionate about consulting, addiction, and indictment, as I mentioned earlier. And that can still happen, and I, and I can still speak. So I can impact a large number of people at once. Got back home, just kept doing what I was doing, and hadn't focused on you know, dealing with speaking at this point. But as I decided to go forward with Cheryl and her business, which will be consulting real estate agents, will be 
on compliance. We have an entity that'll be called Comply or Die. That's perfect because she teaches compliance, knows compliance inside and out. The die part, it's not literally death, obviously, but trouble, prison, whatever, dealing with sanctions, the law. So it's a natural fit there. And so we'll do compliance for a lot of other industries. She's accredited with the National Speakers Association. She's all also going this past year through a training with heroic public speaking. Next thing you know, she's talking to me about speaking because she's heard me tell my story before at some of her mortgage fraud courses. And I've been telling it totally off the cuff. Nothing was outlined. There was no process to it. There was really no tying in to a true message. I was just telling my story raw and how it was. But to be effective, I need to really outline it. I need to put it together in a way that can have the most impact. Well, last week, I get a call from Heroic Public Speaking saying Cheryl has nominated me to be basically to have a free referral, if you will, to a course, two-day course back at their headquarters in New Jersey. It's $3,500, but it's no cost because of Cheryl's relationship with them. Then this past Saturday, she invited me to a function with the not sure the, the name of the region, but we'll say Rocky Mountain region of National NSA National Speakers Association in Salt Lake. I spent the day Saturday listening to a man named Gary Rifkin, who was an incredible speaker. He's won the prestigious award through NSA called the Cabot Award. And I learned so many things. So I, I say this because where my mind has been and the things I've been thinking about and talking about and writing about as I journal at times. Through my conscious self-creation statement, I go through every single day. As soon as my foot passes the threshold into the shower, it automatically starts. And it just starts. And if you don't know what that is, basically they're I am statements. And it starts with, I'm a leader, an owner, creator, and producer. I'm a five-star dad and a five-star husband. I impact those who I come in contact with who I am being. I'm a marketer. I'm a coach. I have a beautiful, happy outgoing, healthy wife was my best friend. I have a custom home on a large lot where our family spends time barbecuing, playing pickleball, and swimming. I have a cabin in Timber Lakes where my family spends weekends and holidays often where we snowmobile four-wheel hike and enjoy the beauties of the outdoors. I have an attitude of gratitude. I'm 175 pounds and feel great. I'm off all prescription medications. I have a clear mind and a great memory. I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm happy. I get what I want because I deserve it. I do what I have to do whether I want to or not because I have to do it. No debate. I'm a people and money magnet. I have abundance in my life. I impact others and change lives through speaking and consulting. I have a man of character and integrity who loves his Father in heaven and Savior Jesus Christ. I am Steve Cloward. I'm a champion and I am a winner. Now. That happens every single day, along with the books I'm reading, the people I'm engaging with now. I truly believe that the things that have taken place the last month or two is because I've started to do things that are creating my future. See, if we will think about, talk about, and be about what we want to come about, it will come about, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. So take a look at your life. If you're not living the life that you've dreamt of, and frankly, if you've forgotten about the dreams that you had as a child or at any time, 
it's not too late. See, we all fight stories in our head. I fight them to this day that I'm 52 and it's too late. That's just BS. It's not too late. I still have a ton of time left, but I don't want to be on my deathbed and wonder what if. Because because of my addiction, it was for about 14 years, my life was in a sense on hold in so many ways because I wasn't doing anything to create it. Yes, I was successful financially. That doesn't mean squat. I made poor decisions, likely because of the influence of the drugs. So you deserve to live the life that you want. It's not too late. You deserve to be happy. If you're not, you can be. But it's a choice. We have the choice to be happy or not. See, we let all the outside influences and other people determine our happiness. But they don't have that power. You've got to take that power away from them. You have the power to be happy. But you have to do the things to allow yourself to get there. I hope this has helped. I hope anyone that feels like there is something positive that could benefit family, friends, or anyone in your network, that you'll share this. You'll tell people about it. And if you would, please go over to iTunes and review the podcast, Winning After Addiction and Indictment. No matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are, however you grew up, that does not define you. Every single person can win, but it's got to start by you making a choice that you want to and then taking action and doing the things that it takes to win. Hope you all have a great day. Look forward to sharing some messages with you in the future. Feel free to engage with me on Facebook, Steve Cloward, Instagram, SW Cloward, LinkedIn, Steve Cloward. Shoot me a DM. Any questions you might have, I'm happy to answer the best that I know how. Take care. Thank you for listening to Winning After Addiction Indictment. If you'd like help with addiction, dealing with an indictment, or how you and your family can get through your time in federal prison, you can go to americasprisonconsultant.com and book a free consultation now. That's americasprisonconsultant.com.